David Glenn Show. NFL is on our mind. Wild card weekend is two days away. Of the eight participants, only two are getting any support for our question of the day. Is any NFL team that is in action this weekend, meaning they do not have a bye, good enough to just go ahead and win the whole thing? Raise the Super Bowl trophy in the end. The 12-4 Patriots, who host the Titans on Saturday night, and the 13-3 Saints, who host the Vikings on Sunday afternoon. They're the only two of the eight wildcard weekend participants getting any love whatsoever. We'll keep you up to date on the coaching carousel as Ron Rivera has a new job in Washington. But the Browns, the Giants, and your Panthers are among those looking for coaches. And we're seeing and watching if the Cowboys add their name to that list as well. 1-800-849-2761 if you want in on the National Football League. Jordan Cornett of ESPN and the ACC Network will be with us in less than 15 minutes to talk college basketball and his playing days at Notre Dame and Zion Williamson as his player of the decade in the ACC and NC State as one of his teams on the rise and Duke as a team he just called their game uh, when the Devils annihilated the Eagles over the holidays. Jordan Cornette later this hour. Rick Bennell on the passing of David Stern and, of course, some modern-day NBA. Rick joins us in about 60 minutes. You can jump in with your question or comment. Athlete of the decade, NFL wildcard weekend, bowl season, college basketball, Carolina Hurricanes are the topic so far. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Did the Ohio State Buckeyes, while we were away, we haven't been together, Darren Vaught, my producer, I as the host of this program, you as our statewide listeners, it's been a while since we've all been together, so a lot has happened in the NFL and college hoops and college football. Good news, sort of. The LSU-Oklahoma game did not get great ratings, fewer than 20 million as a TV audience, not what they want, even though they moved it, remember, from the New Year's Eve time slot that had hosted some semifinal games in the past. Moving it away from that was designed to jack up the numbers. Because LSU annihilated Oklahoma, those numbers were somewhat disappointing. However, the other matchup was much better. The TV audience was much larger, well over 21 million, for Clemson against Ohio State. As a neutral observer, I am not a Buckeyes fan. I am not a Tigers fan. We love having Dabo Sweeney as a regular guest here at the David Glenn Show, but I certainly don't have a fighting interest. I, I watched every play of that game, and amidst the celebration over nice TV numbers, the celebration over a thrilled with a filled with drama semifinal game after the first one was the thrashing of the Sooners by the LSU Tigers and Joe Burrow. I'm thinking to myself, I don't want anybody to get hurt, and I don't want there to be one of those games where one fan base gets to walk away saying the Zebras stole it from us. And I have a couple observations as we welcome your calls and look forward to Jordan Cornette on college basketball. It is hard to find a larger play in a major college football game than the one in which Sean Wade, the Ohio State defensive back, got ejected after sacking Trevor Lawrence. Remember this play? He comes in mostly untouched. He has Trevor Lawrence dead to rights, and he makes the tackle, and it's a big play, and Clemson is going to have to punt. And remember, at this point in the game, it is Buckeyes 16, and it is Clemson 0. Clemson, of course, eventually comes back to win the game, but these details matter a lot. 
prior to the play where Sean Wade, if you were watching this game 20 or 30 years ago and you're a Buckeyes fan, you're just celebrating. Oh, it's it's a clutch third down play. Our big-time D-back sacks the, you know, borderline Heisman caliber Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who may be the number one overall NFL pick someday. 5, 10, 20, 40, 50 years ago, it's just a great play by the Ohio State defense. According to the rules of targeting, and this is where you have to understand it if you want to try to make sense. If you want to separate, separate yourself from the whining, moaning fan who's always blaming the officials to the person who actually has a legitimate beef from time to time, you must understand these details. There is absolutely positively no doubt that the way current college football rules are written, that Sean Wade was guilty of targeting, period. There's no debate. It, you might not know the rule, but that's not the referee's fault. There is no debate. It is crystal clear. Some people get confused, and they talk about one set of rules for when you're hitting a defenseless player and a different set of rules for when you're hitting any player. Trevor Lawrence is not defenseless. Most of the time, the guy who's carrying the ball is not defenseless. Like, duh, you're carrying the ball. It's football. You're supposed to be on guard, right? We know this. One of the targeting elements is that if you make forcible contact against an opponent with, your crown of, with the crown of your helmet, and there's one of four things in play, one of those being... Lowering the head before attacking by initiating forcible contact with the crown of your helmet. They must call targeting. They must by rule. Now, do you have a beef with the college football rules makers? Perhaps. But do you have a beef on that play as an Ohio State fan? No, please stop. You make yourself look bad. It is like the boy who cries wolf. We ignore you when you beg for calls that are not in the rules. You might not like the rule again, and I'm not even here to argue with you. But because you don't like the rule doesn't make it less of a rule. You're not, the guys in, in the stripes are not listening to you or putting their finger in the air, seeing which way the wind blows. Oh, these guys don't like this interpretation of targeting. So let's not call it here because it was a great play by defensive back Sean Wade. And the Buckeyes are up 16 to nothing. And this could shift the momentum, which it did. It was a great play by Sean Wade. But targeting is so important, they adopted these rules and others like it to change the way people tackle each other for safety reasons. You might not like the rule, but Darren Vaught, for example, in college basketball, if you want, Ohio State, you want to channel your energies? Channel your injuries, energies to the rules committee during the offseason because I believe there's a window for change that would make sense for you. Now, you're most mad because it was applied to your Buckeyes. You don't care the, the other 99% of the time. But I get it. I feel for you. I mean, your season is over in part. For those who don't know, the Clemson Tigers had scored zero points and averaged four yards per play prior to Sean Wade's targeting call, which, remember, comes with an ejection. So the Buckeyes not only lose the momentum, Clemson keeps the ball, scores on that possession, and then just turns the whole thing around. They go from down 16 to nothing to feeling a lot better about themselves prior to the targeting call. Zero points by the Tigers, four yards per play. After the targeting call, 29 points for the Tigers, eight yards per play. Now, is Sean Wade that good? Maybe, maybe not. He's certainly a very good player. 
But if college football had a rule like college basketball, and as the voice of the High Point Panthers, Darren, I don't know if you've had it this year, but there can be a flagrant one in basketball and a flagrant two, correct? Correct. And how would you boil down the differential there? Uh, so a flagrant one would be deemed excessive, unnecessary, and or severe contact on a foul, and it is in live play. So it, I, I, get, I think getting to your point, something that's black and white about the distinction between a flagrant one and a flagrant two would be if it's during uh, dead play and, and it's not a live ball, then it would default to a flagrant two if deemed severe, unnecessary, or excessive enough to meet the flagrant and label. one one is treated far more seriously than the others. What are the repercussions for the two? Correct. So variations. For, so for a flagrant one, it would be two free throws awarded and a throw in for the team that was fouled against. Whereas the flagrant two, immediate ejection of the player who committed the foul. It's a in big addition deal. to two free throws okay. and the ball. So we're differentiating two kinds of plays we don't like. Correct. And one rises all the way to an ejection. And the other is severely penalized, right? But that guy stays in the game. Yes. So you still have a disincentive in the rules. You don't want a flagrant one. You sure as heck don't want a flagrant two. Right. The problem in college football right now, and targeting is a relatively new element, is that they could easily write into the rules. Again, if you're an Ohio State fan and you're mad about the, the overturned fumble later in that game, I feel your pain. I... I you're only supposed to overturn the call on the field if it's undeniable, crystal clear, you know, indisputable evidence, all those phrases that we've heard. And I'd, I'd have stuck with the call on the field, which, of course, was a fumble return for a touchdown by Ohio State in a nail-biter of a game. Those two calls in a single game, wonderfully played by both sides, gargantuan elephant time. That's how big each of those two. But Ohio State fans, while – to a degree, I mean, debatable. They have a legitimate beef for the second one. They really don't have a beef for the first one unless they're arguing we should change the rule. Could you change the rule? Of course you could. Just as Darren laid out, these are two types of basketball fouls we don't like. We want to punish you really bad for both of them, but one is more severe than the other, and you're going to get ejected as well. You could do that in college football. If that same Sean Wade sack of Trevor Lawrence, if it were written into the rules, you know what? This was not an intent to injure. This is a split second. Trevor Lawrence is 6'6 six, six and ducks his head when he feels the, the impact coming. And Sean Wade, no, he shouldn't have lowered his helmet. But, folks, there are I'm trying to kill the guy, like, flat, uh, what do they call the crackback block? Yeah. Like you're trying to remove the guy's head from his Which, shoulders. Which, to be clear, that's another key distinction between the flagrant one and the flagrant two. It is. is. Intent is immediately a flagrant two if they can discern that that was part if of it. If those officials on that field were given the basketball equivalent of giving targeting one or targeting two or whatever labels you want to give them, I think they would have, you know, the Ohio State Buckeyes still would have lost some momentum. Clemson would not have had to punt. They would have gotten a first down. You can't tackle with the crown of your helmet. Stop and stop begging the officials when you do because you don't understand the rules. You could have targeting one and targeting two, and targeting one still would have penalized the Buckeyes, but Sean Wade would have stayed in the game, and we'll never know how, how that would have 
caused the next domino to fall as Clemson goes from this 16 to nothing deficit to eventually that 29 to 23 victory. There's a better way, but Ohio State fans, your first beef is with the rules maker, not the zebras. Your second beef is actually not with the zebras either. It's with the replay officials. Um, you believe that the guys on the field got it right. Neither of your beefs is toward the zebras. They're both misdirected. Learn the rules better, and at least your angst will be sent in healthier directions. Jordan Cornett of ESPN is going to drop by a little bit later this hour. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer will be with us in 45 minutes. We'll take your phone calls, too. 1-800-849-2761. Next on The David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? H how does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. <laughs> um, you know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Back to the David Glenn Show. Jordan Cornette on College Hoops in a little more than 10 minutes. Rick Bennell on the NBA. The passing of the late great commissioner David Stern. Rick will be with us in about 40 minutes. Darren Vaught and I, along with intern Will, are taking your calls on the NBA, NFL, college football, college basketball, and Carolina Hurricanes headlines of the day. Happy New Year to everybody. You are welcome to jump in on the greatest athlete of the past decade debate. LeBron James and Serena Williams were listed as the best male and best female athlete of the last 10 years, respectively, by the Associated Press, among others. Tom Brady and other football participants made the vote list as well. Steph Curry and KD joined LeBron on that list. Baseball superstar Mike Trout, Olympic sprinter Usain Bolt, Team USA gymnast Simone Biles, Team USA swimmers Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky were joined by Novak Djokovic of the tennis world, Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin of the hockey world, Floyd Mayweather Jr., the lucrative now-retired boxer, Lionel Messi and other soccer superstars as well. You can be next on that as we glance back and look forward. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. We're going to ask Jordan Cornette, why he called Zion Williamson the best ACC basketball player of the past decade. You know, all those lists came out in every sport, every conference, every everything. Who was the best of the last 10 years in this or that? It gets a little crazy when you're asked to quantify. All right, Mike Trout is one of the greatest players of all time in baseball. If you measure just statistically what he's accomplished by a certain age compared to even the Babe Ruths and other superstars of yesteryear, it gets a little tricky, and you have to become opinionated at some point. How much weight are you putting on team success where Mike Trout, for example, has very little, if any, how much are you placing on individual success where Mike Trout is so far off the charts, but yet he's not going to score as well, of course, in the team success category. Zion Williamson, having played only one year at Duke, got a lot of eye rolls because the question becomes, in a world where, yeah, the best guys often leave early, but in a world where some good guys stay for three or four or five years, how can you make one-and-done Duke star Zion Williamson the best of the decade when somebody else, and you can just look at all the ACC players of the year and remind yourself, well, who stayed how long? And remember, Jalil Okafor at Duke was a one-and-done, but 
He was actually on a national championship team and the national player of the year, right? Zion Williamson did get national player of the year as a one and done, but his Blue Devils fell short of the final four, much less the national championship. So there's no one right answer. We all know that. I would think that it would be a blend of personal and team accomplishments. For example, LeBron James, the Associated Press Male Athlete of the Decade, in the span where he went from 25 years old to now 35 years old, he played in the NBA Finals eight times, and he won three championships. And one of those was in his starved for a championship in any sport, home state of Ohio. So he did the decision, infamously, and he went to Miami, and they didn't get four and five and six. They did get their two with the Miami Heat, and then he goes back to his home state, and yes, even though the bridge had been burned with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he rejoined his original NBA franchise, got another, and changed history for sure. He promised that he would try to get his home state that title that it had been waiting for truly a lifetime in every major sport. The Indians in baseball, right? The Browns in the NFL. There had been a long drought. LeBron James not only went to eight NBA finals and won three championships, he gets bonus points. Heck, add a gold medal, right, with Team USA back in 2012. When you add what he was the MVP twice this past decade, that's a lot of individual accomplishments along with a lot of team accomplishments. And the question becomes, how could Zion, it would, be, it would almost be like in the athlete of the decade debate, of course, LeBron was around the whole decade. If you're 25 to 35, well, you're eligible, right? Um, if you came along later, if you were just a younger person and didn't come along until 2016, well, how the heck are you going to be one of the top vote getters for the athlete of the decade when you weren't even around for the bulk of the decade? There are similar principles in play when you're trying to decide who's the best, whatever, in this case, basketball player of the last decade, and it really boils down to this. Zion Williamson was the national player of the year. Zion Williamson, I think the numbers support, he had one of the greatest freshman seasons in the history of college basketball, not an exaggeration. Anthony Davis of Kentucky is on that list. There are, of course, others. But Zion's on the short list. One of the greatest freshman seasons in college hoops history, no exaggeration, period. And, yes, that makes him a candidate for the player of the decade. But as in the athlete of the decade, none of these top vote-getters was only around for a chunk of the decade. It was LeBron, 25 to 35 years old. Serena Williams was not new to the scene, right? She didn't just drop in, parachute in in 2015. She was already a mega-time majors champion when the decade started. And then she added, what, Olympic gold in singles, Olympic gold in doubles, 10 more Grand Slam titles after the age of 30. Tom Brady, around the whole decade. Simone Biles. She hit the gymnastics scene in 2011, believe it or not. So a full decade. Usain Bolt was in the Olympics in 2012 and 2016, right? The bulk of the decade. Mike Trout, the whole decade, and on and on and on. Steph Curry, the whole decade. These were among the leading vote-getters, and all of them were around for the full decade. Now, when you're talking about the best individual basketball player from the past decade, it is almost impossible to do better in a single year 
than Zion Williamson did in his single year at Duke. I say almost impossible because, of course, if he did both National Player of the Year and National Champion, as Jalil Okafor did, it would be that much more spectacular. But Zion Williamson, I think we would argue, was an even better one-year player than his fellow Duke guy, Jalil Okafor, was in 2015. However, how do you put next to that? And how do you weigh team accomplishments and individual accomplishments somebody like Malcolm Brogdon? To me, Malcolm Brogdon of UVA, was he a YouTube sensation? No, he was not. Was he the National Player of the Year? No, but he was the National Defensive Player of the Year. Was he uh, consensus All-American the way Zion was? Yes, and importantly, Malcolm Brogdon did that twice. Now, he didn't have the famous exploding shoe. He was not at the most high-profile or one of the most high-profile programs ever, Duke. He was not playing under the Hall of Fame coach. Tony Bennett will get there someday. But Zion had the benefit of a different kind of platform. Zion had a YouTube 21st century social media following that was unlike anything we'd ever seen for a college basketball player. And that props up his candidacy in some ways. But just as it would be hard to win Athlete of the Decade, if you only parachuted in for the second half of the decade, I think it should be hard for anybody to win in a sport, remember, where you can be around for three or four or five years even. It should be really, really hard to win if you only had one season, even if it was a spectacular, unforgettable, off-the-charts, amazing, award-winning season. If you're Malcolm Brogdon, like LeBron James, you ended a famous drought. The Tony Bennett Cavaliers of this past season gave the Cavaliers their first national title. Of course, Malcolm Brogdon was not a part of that. But the Cavaliers hadn't won an ACC basketball title in forever. And Malcolm Brogdon was on the group that brought Charlottesville that first ACC title in forever in the form of the 2014 ACC tournament victory. He was a part of two regular season championship teams. Again, that's more than one, right? Two. He was a three-time first-team All-ACC player. That's a lot more than one. That's two more than one, in fact. Three-time all first-team All-ACC, Malcolm Brogdon. 2016 ACC Player of the Year. 2014 ACC Champion. 2016 National Defensive Player of the Year. Led the Cavs to the Elite Eight one year, Sweet 16 another year. Right? Zion didn't take the Devils any further than the Elite Eight. At some point, volume has to matter, too. Zion Williamson was the most spectacular, unforgettable player of the last decade. Malcolm Brogdon's body of work, to me, was even better. Jordan Cornett voted for Zion so he can defend his own ballot as he joins us on the other side. Former Notre Dame player, just watched this year's Duke team play. He was part of the call as the Devils squashed Boston College with our good friend Wes Durham. He has NC State listed as one of his most promising teams in the ACC beyond the obvious Duke and Louisville. We'll talk Notre Dame. We'll talk Zion Williamson. We'll talk Catholic education. We'll talk Mike Bray and his time playing for the still Notre Dame coach with ESPN and ACC Network college basketball analyst Jordan Cornett next on the David Glenn Show. 
Roy Williams, welcome yeah. back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, two chains came walking by, and he reached his hand yeah. down and uh, shook my hand and said, two chains. And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest was just in Durham to call Duke's annihilation of Boston College. He recently described the NC State Wolfpack as another of the more promising basketball teams here in ACC country. He knows the game well. He played at Notre Dame under coach Mike Bray. He is now an outstanding analyst for ESPN and the ACC Network. Jordan Cornett, welcome to the David Glenn Show and Happy New Year, man. How are you? DG, happy new year to you, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited for us to really get in deep to conference play here. The, the time is finally ours with Clemson not set to play football again for another two years. <laughs> well put. We're going to dive into the hard court, but of course we want to get to know you just a little bit better with the launch of the ACC Network just this past summer. Let me start here. You know, not all analysts got to play this game and got to, you know, travel the country or even the world, in your case as a member of the Fighting Irish. What would you describe as the most fun place that you visited that you wouldn't have been there if you weren't a basketball player or maybe a celebrity or other interesting person that you met while at Notre Dame that you probably would not have met if you weren't a college athlete? Oh, yeah, D.G., that's a great question, man, and not one you typically get asked. But luckily I've got some, some memories in the chamber uh, to share with you here. You know, we had the opportunity – uh, when I was playing at Notre Dame, we were in the Big East. So the Big East tournament was in Madison Square Garden uh, right there in New York City. And our Notre Dame team had the, uh, had the luxury, had the incredible opportunity of ringing the bell on Wall Street to open the market. Nice. I, I mean, is there a cooler moment? I, I don't think Jordan Cornett gets a phone call. <laughs> says, hey, Jordan, we want to fly you out to New York and, and open the market by ringing the bell, sounding the bell. Uh, so that was very cool. We were able to, having played Georgetown, go to Washington, D.C., uh, have, a, have a tour of the White House uh, by President Bush. Uh, that was a really cool experience. Playing again in the garden, I was able to meet Spike Lee and Jay-Z personally. Nice. As they greeted us in our huddles. And uh, Jay-Z actually taught us before we played St. John's and sat courtside and said, we're going to get our tails kicked. We ended up winning by 15 points. <laughs> all four points in that game. Uh, so those are memories that will stick with you forever. Uh, because of this great game and what uh, college basketball has been able to give to me, it's also provided a career post-college for me as well. So I'm incredibly grateful. Jordan Cornett is joining us. Follow him on Twitter, at Jordan Cornett. In my case, Jordan, 14 years of a Catholic education, including all four years of high school, mandatory coat and tie every single day, with, in wow. some cases, priests as my instructor or teacher at the front of the classroom. So given your time at Notre Dame, I wonder, what do coaches or chaplains say about the power of prayer? Because our running jokes as kids were, you know, Sister Imelda, I keep praying for good grades, <laughs> but somehow, you know, the Lord is not answering my prayers. How does it work for basketball players? Well, as, as, a, as a Catholic man who has also gone the Catholic route from grade school to high school through college, uh, I feel let down uh, by, by the collar. I, I would go to my, my, uh, the, the priest that traveled with our team and say, 
hey, where's God at? You look at my field goal percentage. What about my free throw percentage? Can I get a little bit of help here? I'm going to the grotto, which is a very famous spot on campus where you light a candle and say a prayer. And I, I, I seem to get no help, DG. So I, I don't really know uh, what benefits uh, came from that. You would think a Notre Dame team would have a higher field goal percentage currently with this team with God on their side, but God loves everybody easily. Well put. Jordan Cornette is joining us on the David Glenn Show. I saw on your shows on the ACC Network, and of course we kicked it around here on our statewide show in North Carolina as well, best of the decade. That conversation happened in every sport that all of us follow. When it comes to ACC hoops, a lot of folks pointed to last year's one-and-done sensation at Duke, Zion Williamson. And others said, well, wait a minute. How can you give it to any one-season sensation when, who knows, you know, a Malcolm Brogdon at UVA was great for three years or somebody else from this past decade was even greater because of a larger body of work. How did you come down on the ACC player of the decade in hoops? Well, I, I went with Zion, and I know it, it angered a lot of people. West Durham, son of the, the legendary Woody Durham, West the legend in his own right, was very angry with me for picking that. Mark Packer, the other part of Packer and Durham, son of Billy Packer, a legend in his own right, Mark Packer, was not happy with me for picking Zion because they said, body of work, body of work, to which I said, oh, poo-poo that. Come on, it's greatness. This guy in Zion, what he delivered to college basketball was nothing short of remarkable in his one season. Did they win a national championship? No. That was national player of the year, historic efficiency, and for everything that was asked of him, he delivered that and more. And, and yes, it was only in one year, but I look at a guy like LeBron James, who's done it for 17 seasons. But what I marvel with with LeBron is, of course, the longevity, but there was an expectation for LeBron to be great. Not just great, but enthralling, entertaining, delivering at every turn, and he did. In this one year, Zion did the exact same thing. He was expected to carry the sport. He did that and some. He was selfless. He was at every turn where he was challenged with, oh, this is where he makes a mistake with Shoegate, or he doesn't come back. He did. He did everything seamlessly correct, and he carried the sport. And for people that say it's only one year, I task you with this. Who was the best player in Syracuse history? Okay, well, maybe you want to go with Derek Coleman. Maybe you want to go with the Pearl. But a lot of people would say Carmelo Anthony, yep. who played one season at Syracuse because he was that great. One of the greatest running backs in the history of the sport was Gail Sayers, who his career was cut short. But he was that great as a running back for the Chicago Bears in his time. Sometimes you don't need four years to be the best ever in a decade. Zion did not need that amount of time. Jordan Cornette of ESPN and the ACC Network is joining us on the David Glenn Show. This league that you cover most intensely, as you know, has won, I just used the phrase, more than half the time. They've won the national title two of the last three years, three of the last five, four of the last seven, six of the previous 11, at least when you say it as current ACC basketball teams have won six of the last 11. That's a lot. When you look at the field right now, Jordan, even though you may see you know, Duke the other day or Florida State, UVA, NC State, Louisville, et cetera, and the other contenders, do you believe this is a year where the ACC has two or three or more of those top ten teams with the best chance of winning at all? Or is this, at least to this point, just a little bit less than what the ACC has been offering us in hoops over the last decade or so? Well, DJ, it's so funny to me that everybody says the ACC is down. And, and, and it's funny because 
maybe the expectation at the beginning of the season when it's a total crapshoot and when people throw numbers in front of these teams and rank them, maybe that's not where uh, it is as opposed to where we thought it'd be at the start of the season. But yet still, Duke and Louisville are two teams that very well could have one seed by the time Selection Sunday rolls around. Florida State is a team that could be playing for a two or three seed. And so there's three teams you pencil in right away that are very real Final Four participants. Then you look at North Carolina, NC State, who's kind of waiting in the weeds. The team's not really being talked about. That could make some noise. Virginia, for as bad as they've looked offensively, there's still a team that is a two-loss team that their elite defense could still get them to a second weekend. And from there, you just don't know. So as I look at all the other conferences, the Big Ten is the only one that can boast a, a, a similar thing where they got a couple potential one seeds floating out there. But the ACC is in a great position, again, to, to add more hardware to a conference that has had a very, very special decade, as you just mentioned. The Blue Devils that you saw recently in Durham are number two in the polls. Uh, I just voted Vernon Carey my midseason player of the year in the ACC in a post at the Athletic Carolina. What you saw against the Eagles was just utter domination. It's hard to explain a world where that Duke team also lost at home to Stephen F. Austin. What do you like the most about the Devils, and where do you see room for improvement if uh, a lineup that has, what, four key freshmen in it is going to get better between now and March Madness? Well, I'll tell you what. Trey Jones, DG, is as, is the most important player to his team as any in the ACC. I mean, with him out in those two games, this team looked uh, light years different than who they looked on New Year's Eve versus Boston College. I mean, the guy sets the table for everybody to eat. He provides an edge for this team. Uh, defensively, he gets after it. Uh, but he puts guys in pristine scoring positions. Vernon Carey is a walking 20-20 and 20 guy. Not a double double guy. A 20-10 and 10 guy. It, it's incredible what Vernon Carey has, has sped up his game to be where we stand today. This Duke team is wildly different from Duke teams we've seen in years past. Usually it's seven, eight guys. That rotation is tight. Chock full of three, four first-round picks. Yeah. Well, this team maybe has one, possibly two, maybe three first-round picks, but not top ten guys aside from probably Vernon Carey. Uh, but this team plays ten guys. They go ten deep. Yeah. And I don't think that rotation is going to differ much come February. I don't think Coach K is going to be able to get it down to seven guys because what those ten guys bring. This is a team that with their athleticism can turn you over. They're fascinating to watch in the open floor. The Achilles heel will be, and is to this day, the ability to knock down three-point shot consistently. That's where Matthew Hurt comes into play. That's where Alex O'Connell comes into play. Cassius Stanley can provide there as well. But they need to have a guy when it's dribble, dribble drive. They need that kick to be to a guy who consistently give you a three-point shot. That's what they're devoid of right now. If they get that, I would put them ahead of Louisville in the conference. But for right now, I'm sticking with Louisville as the best team in the ACC as we stand. Jordan Cornett is with us. If you follow him on Twitter, you would have seen one of his recent posts. Virginia Tech will dance in March. Lamar Kimball is Louisville's best point guard option. Kihei Clark is the biggest overachiever in the ACC. And then the one I'll ask you about now, and of course you can follow Jordan at his name, at Jordan Cornett. It is a battle between Florida State and NC State for third best in the ACC after those Blue Devils and the Cardinals. What has jumped out at you about Kevin Keats' Wolfpack so far? They got an identity. And, DG, so many teams in college basketball right now look at the beer and go, who are we? Who are we going to be come February in the throes of conference play? 
Coach keeps the squad and the team that plays nine guys, wholesale line changes, intense basketball, much like that other team that's in the in the running for the third best team, Florida State. They play very hard. The turnover rate is high in terms of turning over their opponent. They translate that defense into offense. And another place where the pack separates themselves from the pack is the ability to knock down shots. They have specialists at the three-point line. This is a team that's going to say, hey, you want to beat us? Come on into the 80s because that's where this game is going to go. And there's not a lot of teams that can get to the 80s in any game. I don't care who you're playing. It could be Marist. It could be Long Beach Central. And some of these teams in our conference can't get to 80 points. <coughs> Virginia. <laughs> so you look at some of these teams out there and you say, well, what is going to be the challenge to score the ball? And the NC State can comfortably do that. They've got a great point guard who's a senior point guard in Markel Johnson, who people aren't talking about enough. And C.J. Bryce can pursue twos, not threes, in a year where everybody, despite the percentages being down and the three-point line being extended, want to do their work beyond the arc. He's comfortable doing it inside. D.J. Funderburk is the X factor as a mismatch at the four position. I really like how this team plays. Last thing for you, Jordan Cornette joining us on the David Glenn Show, former Notre Dame player, now with the ACC Network at ESPN. My brother happens to be a University of Delaware Blue Hens graduate. And, of uh, course, yeah. you have gone from playing for Mike Bray, former Delaware head coach, then uh, Notre Dame, and I know you were with him early in his tenure there, to now covering Mike Bray. He is like the coach I'd most like to have multiple beers with, you know, among other labels <laughs> I could put on him. All of them complimentary, dating back to when he was like Coach K's assistant here in, you know, the middle of ACC country. My question to you is, how have you seen him change over these couple of decades where he's gone from the new guy at Notre Dame to what? He's, isn't he the winningest coach in the history of the program now, right? Yeah, he surpassed Digger Phelps. I'll tell you, you ain't happy about that. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it, DG. It's the level of success he's achieved in these, uh, which is crazy to say, by his 20th season and his 20 years. So he came in as, as your brother well knows, a guy who would never have to buy a drink in, the, in, the, in Delaware uh, because of the success he had with the Blue Hens. Uh, but he translated that success to even greater heights and an even bigger stage at Notre Dame. So when he came in, he was trying to lay the foundation. He was a little bit more uptight. He was his rotation of guys. He kept it a little bit tighter. And if guys made a mistake, he coached tight, pulled them yeah. out and brought another guy in. Well, now he's become so much more loose, so much more comfortable <laughs> because he could sit back and say, look at the water here. And I turned it into wine and it goes back to identity. Coach Bray came in and a lot of coaches at football schools should take note of this. He embraced the fact that football carries the day in his program. Yeah. He used recruiting on football Saturdays with big matchups to uh, to lure students there and say, this is the, this is pro sports are on here. The pro sports are Notre Dame football, Notre Dame basketball, and everything else. So come here and play. And then he made it attractive by saying, we're going to put up a lot of points. We're going to play free-flowing basketball. We're going to spread you out, and everybody's got the green light. He made it sexy to come to South Bend. And there ain't anybody in America that can make South Bend sexy <laughs> aside from Coach Bray. Yeah. Him creating that system was huge. Well done. Jordan Cornette on Twitter, at Jordan Cornette. Catch him all the time on ESPN and especially the ACC Network, formerly of Notre Dame and always a good Catholic boy at heart. Jordan, thank you very much for the time on the David Glenn Show, man. Happy New Year. Keep up the good work. We'll be knocking on your door again down the road.
I love it, man. Happy New Year to you, DG. Thanks for having me. You got it. Jordan Coronet of the ACC Network. More of your phone calls. Another great guest still to come. Rick Bennell is going to drop by from the Charlotte Observer. He is a finalist for the North Carolina Sports Writer of the Year this year. He is among the guys that I have voted for many times in that capacity. The late Commissioner David Stern will talk about his impact on the NBA. The return of the NBA to Charlotte and to our state of North Carolina. David Stern actually had a role in that after the original Hornets, remember, took off for New Orleans. Rick Bennell on the NBA will start our number three. Happy New Year to you and yours. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. The head devil... David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer will lead off our number three. We will discuss the legacy of the late great commissioner, David Stern, who died yesterday at the age of 77. Again, when he signed up in 1984, the league had annual TV revenue of $10 million a year. By the time he stepped away in 2014, exactly 30 years later, that $10 million a year in annual TV revenue for the NBA had become $900 million per year. We'll talk about the current NBA as well. Jordan Cornette just gave his two cents on the college version of that Zion Williamson guy, calling him the best of the past decade for the Atlantic Coast Conference, even though he spent only that one-and-done season with the Duke Blue Devils. There were other candidates, UVA's Malcolm Brogdon among them, but a lot of folks voted for Zion. There's no vote to cast on Zion Williamson, the NBA player, yet. Why? Because he still hasn't played a game. As the number one overall pick, there is an update, however. Within the next two weeks, NBA teams will reach the midpoint of their regular season. So Zion is coming up upon missing the first half of his first NBA regular season. Around the same time these teams get to the 40 or so game mark, Zion is expected to finally make his debut for the New Orleans Pelicans, who are not good, by the way, 11 wins and 23 losses without their number one overall pick. But they're not so bad that without with a jolt from Zion Williamson, however he looks in an NBA uniform, they still think they can make the playoffs in the West. Zion says he's tired of telling little kids when he'll return, they say they see him in their video games, but they'd like to see him on their TVs as well. Best guess at some point in January, Zion, the NBA player, will make his debut. Speaking of the NBA, we'll look back at David Stern and look forward with Rick Bennell next. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances, and I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon.